we are continuing our series in, uh, in marriage and with uh, marriage and family, the very good design. We're in week four, and and so we've looked at the big picture of marriage and family, and the reality that uh, God has a good design, a very good design, and the enemy has a plan for our marriages and our families as well. And that's what we looked at in the first week, and we looked at how. The enemy lies, and he's been a liar since the beginning, and he's not changed his strategy. He is a liar. He's a father of lies, and his lies are intended to destroy our marriages and our families. And that's what we looked at in the first week of this series. And then week two and week three, we looked at the, the roles and the responsibilities, the, 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 the callings that God has given to wives and to husbands. And, and so now we're going to look at this, this last section in Ephesians 5, and I, I've, I've entitled this message, Stuck like glue. Stuck like glue. That's the, the title of the message. And, but before we get into it, just want to say this, that I, I know that it's true, that as I've thought about it, that probably 100% of us that are in here today have been touched by a, a divorce in some way, shape, or form. And it may not be that you've personally been through a divorce, but you know someone who has. Maybe it's your mom or your dad your grandparents, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your sister, um, your co-worker, a, a friend. I think all of us have been touched by divorce in some way, shape, or form. And it is increasingly difficult. It is becoming, it is becoming increasingly difficult for, for men and women that, that pledge their love and their devotion to each other to keep those commitments. It is increasingly challenging for couples to, to, to make it. To have a marriage that lasts a lifetime. And we've all experienced the pain. In some form, we've seen the destruction that divorce causes. We've seen the pain that it causes. And so this is a very sensitive subject. This is a subject that I, I believe in Ephesians 5, that we get some clues and, to, and some answers that we're going to lean on for how marriages can make it. And so the question I have is this. I kind of wrote down two questions. Where, where is the hope for marriages today? Where's the hope for marriages today? And, and how, can we have mar- how can we have marriages that last? Yes, some of you are divorced and you're, you're remarried. Some of you have seen, seen the pain of divorce and, and you're worried about your own marriage. So we're all coming, we can come from all kinds of different sides of this. But the reality is, is, is that if we're married here today, the question is not how did it happen and where did it come from and, and how to how to solve the past, the, qu- the, the question is, what do I do now? I've made commitments now in my life, in marriage. How can my marriage make it? How can it last? How can it persevere? How can I have a marriage that, that lasts 50, 60, 70 years? How can we have that? And I believe that, that the answers have never changed. The, answers have, the, the answer has never changed. There are no new answers to those questions. And the answer is this, simply. We must submit our lives to the authority of God's word and obey his commands concerning marriage. That's the answer. It's the only answer. Is that if we're going to have marriages that last, that stand the test of time, we have to submit to the authority of God's word we have to obey him concerning what he has laid out for marriage if our marriages are going to make it. That, that is the foundational truth. And I know that if you're, in a, if you're here today and you're in a marriage, you're just struggling, you think, well, Pastor Ben, that's a little too simplistic. 
and, and my situation is a little too complex. I just want you to know that the, that, that the truth of that statement, the truth of God's word, works in whatever situation that you're facing. No matter how complex it may seem, the simple reality that God's word is true and that he puts in to his word the blueprints for marriage and that if we will simply obey him, not saying it's going to be easy, from wherever you're coming from, whatever state your marriage is in, I'm not saying it's going to be easy to get to a good place and to a healthy place in your marriage, but I'm saying that the answer is the same. It's about obedience. It's about honoring God and obeying him. Think about every area of your life where you might have struggle. It's probably because you have not followed God's word as you should. You've not obeyed him and walked in, in, in obedience to God's word. And so what we want to do is we want to look at what God's word says. We've seen the roles and the responsibilities. We've seen that God is called wise to submit to the authority and, 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 and the, the, the role of, of responsibility that God's given to your husband. And we've also seen where God's called husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. But I think we're going to see a key right here in Ephesians 5, 31 through 33 about how, how we can, what do we need to understand that will help us to have marriages that last. So let's look at, at Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. Now that I have your attention. You guys, you guys awake? Okay, I've got your attention now. It's, it's a difficult subject. We've all been touched by it. But God's word is true. God's word is true. Ephesians 5, 31. Therefore, a man... So, again, let's just stop right there. Therefore is there for a reason. That word, therefore, is there for a reason. And Apostle Paul just laid out the instructions for husbands and wives and how to make a marriage work. And he says, therefore, because of all of these things, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. So what we're going to do is we're going to really key in on one verse, verse 31, Ephesians 5, 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I believe in this verse is the key to what it takes to have a lasting marriage, what it takes to have a lasting marriage. So... What must we understand that will help us to keep the commitments we've made before God and our spouse? The first thing is this, is that our marriage, hear me, our marriage is of greater priority than any other earthly relationship. Our marriage, and my wife is not here because we have a sick baby and and my sick baby gave me a little something in my throat this morning. And, and so, but my marriage and your marriage, my marriage relationship is of greater priority than any other earthly relationship that you have. Now, obviously, your relationship with Christ is foremost. But I'm talking about relationship with flesh and blood. Your marriage relationship is the great, should take greater priority than any other earthly relationship. This is what we see. In this first part of Ephesians 5.31, let's go back to, to the text. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. 
leave his father and mother. That, that word leave there, it's, it's a verb, right? It's a verb. It's, it's an action word, leave. And it's, it's an active verb, which means that it is a continual response. It's a continual response. Therefore, a husband shall leave his father and mother. What does that mean? It means that when you get married, you leave. It means that, that a, a new relationship to your husband or to your wife takes a greater priority than another relationship, right? That means that, that your relationship to your spouse is greater than a relationship you used to have with your mom and your dad. And I believe the same is true with any other relationship. The principle is true, whether it's a father, a mother, a child, a friend, a coworker, that when you get married, when you leave your father and your mother and you join together in marriage, that marriage relationship has to be the greatest priority in your life. It has to be the greatest priority in your life. The relationship between a husband and a wife is a holy and a sacred relationship. Every other relationship comes in second place. I don't know where my kids are. They were here earlier. They're somewhere around this building. But this is what I tell my kids. If I didn't love your mama first, you would not be here. You're here because I love your mama a lot, right? Right? And that's true. That, 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 that marriage relationship must come first. And there's times, whether it's a, a mom or a dad, a relationship you had maybe with your parents that can become unhealthy and, 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 and you allow their influence into your marriage, or it can be with your, with, your, with your children. Your children can become a wedge in between you and your spouse, all other earthly relationships must come second place. If we are going to have a marriage that lasts a lifetime, that we keep our commitments to one another, we must carefully guard against other relationships taking priority over our marriage. And, you know, again, it's not just, it's not just mothers and fathers, even though, you know, I think a lot of mother-in-laws get a bad rap. You know, you, you, that's kind of the, the, the joke, right, about mother-in-laws. But, you know, you can have some bad father-in-laws out there, too. You know, my goal in life is to be a great father-in-law one day whenever my, my, my daughters get married and my sons get married. I want to be a great father-in-law, right? But it's, it's not just those close relationships. It can be a lot of other relationships. So this is what I, I want to do with, with this thought here is that we're called to leave. We're called to, to forcefully cling to, we're called to forcefully come together in marriage, to leave all other relationships and make this marriage relationship of utmost priority in our life if we're going to keep our commitments. And I believe it, 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 that, that commitment extends beyond just mother and father and children. There's other relationships that will try to come in between you and your spouse. And I kind of made a list here of what some of those could look like. Parental, we've talked about that. Children, you know, right now, I, I was telling my wife last night, uh, my son Lincoln, he's one years old, and he doesn't understand he's disobeying Scripture right now. It says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate and he has been separating me and my wife almost every night in between us. And I'm looking at my wife over there. I'm like, hey, I would, love, I would love to hug and to snuggle, but we got this little munchkin right here. We are just, we are not disciplined parents. You know, we want sleep. And so right now, our, my child is coming in between. I've got Lincoln right here. This is last night. Lincoln was right here. 
Reagan, because I want to have room to sleep, she is at our feet in the front part of the bed. Joel is on the floor right here. The only child that is in her bedroom is Eliana because there's sickness in this room and she's deathly afraid of sickness. So she has quarantined herself in her bedroom. But if not, she'd be on the floor on this side. That's just a funny situation I'm in, but it can, it can be bad, right? So parental, children. Now, I, my wife is watching. God, I love you, sweetheart. But it can be, there could be friendships. Friendships can get, come in between. Listen, guys, men, women. There is no friendship that you have in this life that that should be of greater priority than the friendship with your husband or your wife. Do not ever allow some other person that you call a friend to take a priority over your husband or your wife. Your husband and or your wife should be your best friend in this life. Your best friend. And, and, And men, husbands, you can't have a woman as a best friend. That's not your wife. Just so you know that. Wives, you can't have a man as a, as a best friend that's not your husband. That is off guard. That's off limits. It's, un, it's inappropriate. It is not good. You, you can't allow friendships to, to take that place. You know, sometimes, guys, we can, we can allow our friendships and, and, and women, we can allow our, our friendships to kind of creep in there. And if, and if we're not careful, we can, try, we can tend to go to them for comfort and support over our spouse and it's not healthy it's not what God intended we are called to leave these relationships and make marriage a priority another relationship we can have that we must leave is work I mean yeah still work but don't don't quit your job right but but leave your work at work sometimes we can be so devoted to our work and so career driven that that relationship can come in between our marriage. There is no amount of money that you can make in your career that is worth sacrificing your marriage for. Did you hear me? There is no amount of money, sales that you can make, contracts that you can sign that is worth sacrificing your marriage for. Let that, let that relationship go. Work when you're called to work, but be with your spouse when you're called to be with your spouse. Hobbies. It's another relationship you can have that you got to learn to leave. I have resigned the fact to the fact that, that my hobby of golf is something I have to leave until I'm retired, basically. I mean, if I played golf as much as I want to play, you know, I, I would bring my, wall, my wife with me f- to my hobby, right? But, but it's just something that you do. You, you, you leave those hobbies. There's no amount of deer you can kill. No amount of fish you can catch, golf balls you can hit, no matter hobbies you can have that are worth sacrificing your marriage for. We have to leave parents, children, friendships, works, hobbies. Here's the last one. Here's a challenging one. Sexual immorality, sexual sin. Any area of sexual sin, you have to flee. You have to leave. It's an act of leaving and fleeing of this type of relationship that will, that, that will ultimately destroy your marriage. Pornography is such a challenge in our culture today. You have to leave pornography. There is, there is, there is nothing good. It is, it, 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 is, it, is, it is a failed and a flawed uh, picture of what love is supposed to look like. It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even come close 
to a true picture of love and beauty and what God designed in marriage. It's, 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 it's a fake, and it destroys, and it has been destroying marriages and families for generations. And so you must flee sexual immorality. I want to read, I want to kind of paraphrase here. There's a longer section. I know we're kind of short on time here. Uh, but you guys know the story of, of Joseph, right? So this is what I want to illustrate for you. When we're talking about leaving, this active verb, of this, this force of leaving, this, this force of action of you leaving all other relationships because of your spouse. Do you remember Joseph? He's in Potiphar's house. He's in charge over, over all of Potiphar's house. And, 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 and he's serving and Potiphar's wife comes. I just want to read this section here. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is no greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are my wife. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, this persistent temptation, this persistent pull from the world, he would, listen, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. What did he do? But he left his garment in her hand and fled. Flee, leave your father and your mother. Leave, he fled and got out of the house. That's the force of will, force of action you have to take when all of these other relationships, these other earthly relationships that want to threaten your marriage, you have to flee like Joseph fled. You have to get out of the house and, and, and then you have to do what our second point is. You have to flee. And then secondly, this is the second thing you have to do. Let's go to Ephesians 5.31. You have to hold fast. You leave your father and mother and you hold fast to your wife, to his wife. That's, this leads us to our second point is this, is that what we must understand is that our marriage is a permanent bond not intended to be broken. Our marriage is a permanent bond not intended to be broken. We must leave our father and mother. So that's that action. That's, that, that's, that's the, the, the choice of your will to leave all other earthly relationships and place your marriage as a top priority. And then what, what do you do then? You hold fast to your wife. You hold fast to your husband. I am fleeing and leaving every earthly relationship that seeks to threaten the covenant I've made before God and my spouse. And at the same time, in the same motion, I am clinging to, I am holding fast to my spouse. I'm running and I'm clinging. I'm running away for dear life from all the things that want to bring a wedge in between my marriage. And at the same time, I'm clinging to my wife. I'm holding fast to my wife. I'm, I'm bringing her close to me. I'm clinging to her. And that phrase, hold fast, or in some translation, it says cling. You know what it means? It gives the picture of to, to, to cement or to glue. It's a picture of super glue. That, that, that you, just, you just cling yourself. You glue yourself to your spouse. And you say, this is, 
a permanent bond. I'm fleeing all other relationships and I'm clinging myself to you. And you know what the challenge is? Is that worldly views about God and his word, about marriage and relationships, will continually try to pull apart that bond. That's what marriage is intended to be, a leaving of all other relationships and a supergluing of two people together. But when that, when that permanent bond, when you cling to your spouse in a covenant marriage, the world is, will continually try through anti-biblical views to try to pull and separate that permanent bond that God intended. Worldly views about God and his word, about marriage and relationships will continually try to pull you away from your spouse, trying to come between the permanent bond you have made in marriage. You know, Malachi 2 says this powerful verse here. I want to read this section, Malachi 2, 15 through 16. This is speaking about the nation of Israel and their relationship with God, but also their relationship in marriage with one another. This is what it says, but did he not make them one, speaking of marriage, having a remnant of the spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. That's why, that's one of the purposes of marriage, is that we would multiply a godly legacy in the earth. That's why we come together as godly men and women, is so that we could raise children that are godly in the earth. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord, God of Israel, says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So why does God hate when divorce happens? I believe one of the primary reasons he hates when divorce happens is because, is because marriage, this lifelong leaving and cleaving, this permanent bond in marriage that is to be created, whenever that, when that union is broken, it, 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 it is it is. It is a, when, when the enemy wins in those situations, it is an attack on what God designed as good. And it comes against his good, very good design of marriage and what he intended for marriage. That's one of the primary reasons why d- divorce, God hates divorce. But I think a second reason why God hates divorce is because of the pain that divorce causes. So I've got, I've got a way, I want to illustrate this for you this, this morning. I had... Chuck, my, my, uh, my illustration guru, helped me with a couple of things. So, so here's a couple of hearts. So this is just basically a, a man and a woman. And so the idea is that when you get married, that you create a permanent bond, right? right? So, so there's no super glue on this. And so this is typically what will happen in marriage is that you kind of, you just, you, you just, you, there's nothing really connecting you together. And so just easy come, easy go, right? No commitment, we'll just sign a prenuptial. And whenever it becomes inconvenient, we'll just, we'll just separate. And so but that's not what marriage is intended to be. Marriage is intended to be a permanent bond that is glued together, that is, that, that is permanent. It is not meant to be torn apart. It's not meant to separate this is why God hates divorce, and this is what we see. We, we've all seen it. I've seen it. We've all seen it. We've seen the pain. And I don't know what's going to happen when I tear this apart exactly. But, but here's what I hope we'll, illust- we'll illustrate. Let's see what happens here. This is what happens when that permanent bond is forced open. Okay, you have to kind of follow me here. But do you see how on each heart, 
on, on, on each heart. It's not a clean break. It's never a clean break, first of all. It's always difficult. And secondly, you got pieces of this heart that are on this heart. And you have pieces of this heart that are on this heart. You, you permanently take pieces of your past relationship with you. And there's hurt and there's devastation, there's pain and there's sorrow. That's why God hates divorce. It's, it's, it's his good design comes under attack. And then secondly, the pain and the hurt that is caused, not, not only on the husband and the wife, but on the kids and the grandkids and the extended family. And so what, what are we going to do in the midst of a culture that, that this is, we, we know we're not called to do this. Just to come together and quesera, sarah, as long as you meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. No, we're called to flee and to cling. But how are we going to ensure that when we cling, that, that the enemy's not going to separate our commitment and cause pain? Some of you here this morning, you're struggling and, and you've been feeling the pull. You've been feeling the pull in your marriage. How are you going to stay together? How are you going to keep your marriage alive? I, I believe the answer is in God's word. You guys know the letter, the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation? There's one letter to the church at Ephesus that stands out to me. And I think it's connected with marriage. You know, if you, when we studied in, in Ephesians 5, it says that this relationship between a husband and wife is a mirror of a relationship between God, between Christ and his, his church. So the parallels run hand in hand here. So if you go to the seven letters to the seven churches, the one to Ephesus stands out. I just want to read this to you. Here's where I believe our, our answers are found. We have to leave our father and mother. We must cling to our spouse. And listen to this. How can we actively pursue oneness? How can we actively pursue oneness? Look at Revelation 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are, and are not. And have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So there's three things. Remember, repent, in return, what had happened to the church at Ephesus? They had lost their first love. How are we going to keep our commitments? We have to, con- we have to continue to, to cling to each other. As the world continues to try to pull us apart and as the world continues to try to get us to believe in worldly, non-biblical views about relationships and priorities in relationships, we have to continue to push against that and cling to each other. Hold to our commitments. You're either, you're either moving towards oneness in marriage or you're moving towards isolation. And so looking at Revelation too, if you, if you are feeling that pull, if you're feeling that pull in your marriage, the world and its ways trying to pull you apart, what must you do? You must remember what had happened to the church. They lost their first love. Remember your first love. Remember what it was like when you first met. Remember, re, remember how much your love, how much love you had for one another in the beginning. Do you guys remember that? Let's think back for a second. Think back when you first saw your spouse. What, what was that like? Maybe some of you it was not very exciting. I, I don't know. But for me, it was amazing. 
I remember seeing Estelle across the church. It's a great place to meet a wife is at church. I remember seeing her across the church. And I, I, I looked like she had a crazy uncle. or I mean, excuse me, a crazy dad. It was actually her crazy uncle. And I thought it was her dad. I thought, well, he's kind of, looks, he's kind of acting strange, but she's good looking. And so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to continue to think about this one, right? I remember, I remember from that moment, I remember as we dated, I, I remember all the little things that I used to do, the little things she used to do. I remember, I remember whenever she went to Pennsylvania for 21 days. You know what I did when she went to Pennsylvania for 21 days while we were mating, uh, uh, dating? <laughs> we did not mate before marriage. And don't mate before marriage. <laughs> mm. God bless. We needed some comic relief. It's getting kind of tense here. <clears throat> you got you. You, you. you got me. But you know what I did for 21 days? I got, a, I got the idea that I take a picture of everywhere that we would go, right? And that she wouldn't be there. So I, 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 in church, I had someone take a picture of her seat next to me being empty. Then I went to Barnes & Noble in New Orleans and, and had some random stranger take, take a picture of me in Barnes and & Noble. And I did that 21 times for 21 days. And I put it in a book with the pictures. And these are the 21 uh, miss you days or something. I forgot how I phrased it. And I gave her the book whenever she got back. Like, you do that when you're dating, Right. <laughs> I don't have time to do that now. Where do I see my wife? I see her when I wake up and I, or when I go lay down and Lincoln's right there. I see her like we just, we hit and miss and, right? But remember, remember from where you've fallen. And what's the next step? Repent. You have, to, if you're feeling the pull of the world trying to separate that permanent bond between you and your spouse, you have to acknowledge what is going on. You have to remember, acknowledge, and then what did it say there? Return and do the first works that you did when your love was white hot for the Lord, when your love was white hot for your spouse. Return and do what you did. So I kind of summarize it for us here. Come back together and acknowledge the drift before the Lord. If that's your marriage right now, come together, hold hands in prayer and say, Lord, we acknowledge that we are drifting and we feel the world and the devil trying to pull us apart. Think back on the things that drew you together. Get practical and return to doing the little things. Do those, do, do those little things. Write those little notes. Prioritize investing in your marriage. Plan times alone with each other. No children. No children. Those blessings, but you don't need them. You've got to be alone with your spouse. Go to a marriage conference. Go to a marriage conference. I strongly encourage you, go to a marriage conference. And then lastly, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. If, if you feel like you're about ready to throw in the towel, ask for help. Ask for help. Remember, repent, and return. This is what we must understand, that our marriage is meant to be a permanent bond. Lastly, as we're moving on here, our marriage is a reflection. What must we understand? Our marriage is a reflection of God in the earth. It's what it says there, Ephesians 5, 31, the last section there. Therefore, a man shall leave all other relationships, make his marriage a first priority. He shall cleave, hold fast to his wife with all of his heart, a, a wife to her husband with all of her heart. And the two shall become one 
flesh. Our marriage is a reflection. This one flesh union is a reflection of God in the earth. How is it a reflection of God? Think about this divine mystery. How is it that two can become one? How is that? How is that possible? I'm, I'm myself and Estelle is herself and all of you that are married. Yeah, we're all individuals and have unique giftings and abilities and we're called to cherish those things. But in a spiritual sense, we are not two, but we are one. It's a divine mystery. It's the same way with the Trinity. God is one, but he is uniquely God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How is that possible that God is three in one? How is it possible that a man and a woman coming together in a covenant marriage are two and one? It's a divine mystery, and that's what we do when we are married in a covenant marriage. We are mirroring God's image in the world, this, this unique mystery of two becoming one. That's the big picture view of how we mirror God in the world. But a practical way that we mirror God's image in the world is in the way in which we forgive one another. The way in which we forgive one another is a way that we mirror who God is. Pastor Freddie said it during the prayer time. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And why did God give his son? He gave his son so that forgiveness could be provided for, so that the punishment for sin could be taken upon Jesus' shoulders so that there could be a way to reconcile God and man, holy God and sinful man, so there could be reconciliation and forgiveness. And so we model God in the earth by the way in which we forgive one another in marriage. If you're here today and you're engaged to be married, you're here today and you want to get married, I just want to tell you, if you're not ready to sign up for a lifetime of forgiving your spouse, you're not ready for marriage. That's, that's a core principle and a core truth in marriage is that you have to become a lifelong forgiver. As I said last week, what is marriage like? It's like two porcupines trying to get close. When two porcupines try to get close, what happens? You're going to prick each other. You're going to get on each other's nerves. You're going to offend each other. You're going to let each other down. And the way in which we reflect God in the earth is the way in which we forgive one another. If we're going to keep the commitments we've made to each other in marriage, we have to leave, we have to cleave, but we have to be lifelong forgivers. You guys know the story in Matthew 18. We're getting ready to close here. Matthew 18, it's about the unforgiving servant. The, the one servant, he owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is what he owed. And he goes to the master and he begs and he pleads and he says, Master, please, I have no way to pay this back. And 10,000 talents would have been this, this amount of money that you could not even calculate. He says, please forgive me. And what does the master do? The master forgives the servant. And then that servant who had been forgiven the 10,000 talents, he had a servant that owed him 100 denarii. And 100 denarii would have been the equivalent of about a month's work during that time. So you have this innumerable amount of money that this one servant owed and he got forgiven and that one servant who was forgiven something he could never repay goes to the servant who, who, who owed far less than what he owed and he said, you're gonna repay and if you can't repay, you're gonna go to jail and you're gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna make you and force you to repay. And then so then word got back Word gets back and, and, and gets back to the original master. 
original master punishes the original servant and says, shame on you. How much was forgiven you? And you're going to look at this person and not forgive them? Did you forget what you were forgiven of? And the principle is true in marriage. The question is not, does my spouse deserve my forgiveness? Because did we deserve salvation? It's not about deserving and and earning forgiveness. As believers in Jesus Christ, that is the foundation of our forgiveness. The foundation of our forgiveness when we forgive our husband, our wife, our friends, our coworkers, anybody that hurts us. The foundation of forgiveness is not that they deserve it. The foundation of forgiveness is that we have been forgiven. And when we struggle to forgive in our marriages, it's because we've forgotten what we have been forgiven of. The question is not, does my spouse deserve my forgiveness? No, the right question is based upon, what have I have been forgiven? Will I, the, the, the right question is this, will I withhold forgiveness when the Lord has graciously, graciously forgiven me? Unforgiveness will eat away at the love you have for one another. So my question to you is this. If you're here today in your marriage and there's unforgiveness, maybe you're here together as husband and wife and you you know it. Or maybe you're here by yourself and your spouse is at home and you know that there's unforgiveness. There's a wedge between you and your spouse. My question is this. Is who will take the first step towards reconciliation? Who's going to take the first step? You know, so often we wait for the other person. We, we just wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them pay and they're going to suffer and I'm going to give them the cold shoulder. How are we going to keep our commitments today? We've got to leave all the earthly relationships. We've got to cling to our spouse and the world is going to try to rip us apart. The enemy is going to try to come in and bring unforgiveness and bitterness. How are we going to keep our commitments We're going to have to mirror God in the earth and forgive our spouse when they fail us. we got to push back against what the enemy is trying to do in our marriages. We have to cling to what is good and true and right in God's word. got to pursue our spouses with all of our hearts and we have to forgive. Who's going to make that first step towards reconciliation? I remember, I'm I'm, I'm almost done, I, I remember my wife and I were in an argument last year. And you know, we've had arguments in 15 years of marriage. Some that have been minor, some that have been not so minor. And we never really, we're not yellers and I don't yell at my wife and call her names and she doesn't yell at me or call me names. But it was just a bad argument. And there was a wedge between us. So she went off to bed and we normally try to reconcile before that. And she went off to bed and I'm being hard-hearted and stubborn, and I don't, I don't even know. I don't know what we're arguing about right now. I cannot remember, but I know it was difficult. And so I'm up, and it's like 2 in the morning, and I'm in the kitchen. It's full of, the kitchen's full of dirty dishes, so I thought, well, I'm going to clean, 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 clean the kitchen. So I put my noise-canceling headphones on, and I'm washing the dishes, and I'm listening to music. And I put on a worship playlist, and somehow within that worship playlist, they had this song that got in there. It's called hard love it's by need to breathe a lot of you have heard that song and as I'm washing the dishes one of the lines in the song the guy from need to breathe he says this he says trading punches with the heart of darkness trading punches with the heart of darkness <laughs> it was like whoo it hit me all of a sudden I thought wait a minute this I'm not up against something that's natural right here 
I'm trading punches with the heart of darkness right now. And I've got to put a stop to what's going on right now. I've, I've got to be the one. I, I don't know what Estelle's going to do, but I am going to be the one. I'm going to move towards reconciliation. I'm going to fight against the devil right now. I'm, I'm going to fight against the devil. And that's, that's what we know is true. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What does that scripture tell me? When you're struggling in your marriage, there's unforgiveness. You need to be reminded your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. As much as you feel like right now your spouse is your enemy, your spouse is not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. The devil wants to separate this permanent bond. But you got to push back against the darkness. You got to separate your disagreements from who your spouse is, and you got to see the bigger picture. You're trading punches with the heart of darkness. You got to cling to what is good. You got you to pursue forgiveness. Amen. So, to summarize, summarize what we need to do, summarize what we've learned here today. Excuse me, I don't, you're not supposed to do this when you preach. <laughs> Summarize what you've learned today, what we've read. We must flee all that threatens our marriage covenant. That's the first thing we learn. For a husband shall leave his father and mother. We must flee all that could possibly threaten our marriage covenant. Secondly, we must pursue our spouse. To, we must, you must pursue your spouse to demonstrate your love in tangible ways. Leave, cleave, hold fast, pursue, and demonstrate your love in tangible ways. And lastly, live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Amen. Stand your feet with me. This is what I want to do. I, I was praying this morning about how I was going to end. And I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm not going to make anybody uncomfortable this morning. It's concerning your marriage and what's going on. So for the sake of not making anyone uncomfortable, here's what, here's what we're going to do. And, and I, if you don't want to, that's no problem. It's fine. But I want, I want us to pray together as couples right? I'm not going to ask you to recite something like we did the last two weeks. What we're going to do is, I don't know whose marriages are struggling and whose aren't. But I know that some of you that are having struggling marriages, you wouldn't want to come down and pray. So for the sake of not embarrassing you or making you feel pressure, I want every married couple to make their way down front, fill up these altars. If you are here by yourself, you guys can start moving. If you're here by yourself, your spouse is not here, you come too. I'm with you. I'm by myself. I'm going to be down here. Let's pray for our marriages. Your marriage can be healthy and you're down here. But your marriage can be struggling and you're down here too. We're going to pray for our marriages this morning. We're going we're, we're to trade punches with the heart of darkness. We're going to kick the devil in the mouth this morning. We're going to pray for our marriages. Because some of you are struggling. You have felt like throwing in the towel. But we're going we're, we're, we're to pray for you and pray for each other. I just keep on funneling down.
you're next to your spouse, I want you to hold their hand. Amen. All right, if you're not married here today, pray for these marriages like you would pray for your marriage when you get married. I mean, pray, 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 pray for it with the same type of desperation you would pray for your marriage. Amen. Father, we come together as husbands and wives. <clears throat> God, we're desperate for you. God, we, we want our commitments that we've made to last. We don't want to give in to, to pressure from the world or pressure from our natural selfishness. God, we want to cling to what is good. We, God, we want to leave every relationship that would seek to threaten our covenant. And, and we want to pursue our spouse like we never have. Lord, we want to return to the things that we used to do. Lord, and we want to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Lord, help us with these commitments. Lord, I pray for every married couple here this morning. God, I pray that you would strengthen every marriage, that the, that, that the bond of marriage for every couple would be strengthened and reinforced today because of your word. God, I pray for those couples this morning that are struggling in their marriage. God, I pray that they would not give up, that they would not throw in the towel, that they would not stop fighting against the enemy, that they would recognize who their real enemy is and that, and, and that they would fight against him and not against each other. And I pray for marriages, Lord, that are struggling. I pray that they would get help, that they would seek for help, seek for counsel, seek for guidance. God, I thank you that our church is a church full of godly marriages that pursue you, that reflect your image in this world. In, in, in this world. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for these last four weeks on marriage. I pray that we would continue to grow as married couples. Thank you for what you've done. We praise you. We honor you. In the precious name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen. 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 I love you guys. You are dismissed. We'll see you next week.